I was coming up a path from the beach in Devon and realized I didn't, well, I actually thought I couldn't get there at all. I wasn't going to be able to make it. I was so breathless. And I said to myself, no, this isn't just being a bit unfit or a bit overweight or a bit anything. This is wrong. And that was the point that I decided that I had to go and see somebody. Today, we have a very special episode of the Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis podcast by Boeringer Ingelheim. We will be sitting down with the extraordinary Liz as she tells us about her journey and experience of living with RAILD, which is short for Rheumatoid Arthritis-Associated Interstitial Lung Disease. Rheumatoid Arthritis, or RA, is an autoimmune disease. The immune system attacks its own healthy tissues by mistake. Beside the joints, it can also attack other parts of the body, including lungs. One of the most severe ways is interstitial lung disease. In this form of ILD, scarring of the lung tissue might develop. The buildup of scar tissue is known as pulmonary fibrosis and affects the tiny air sacs and blood vessels responsible for providing oxygen to all parts of the body. As healthy lung tissue is replaced by scar tissue, it becomes harder for oxygen to pass through the lungs and into the bloodstream. During this episode, we explore the profound impact of Liz's life-changing diagnosis of RAILD and how it has affected both her and her loved ones. Additionally, we discuss the pressing need for increased awareness of the condition, as well as exploring strategies for maintaining a positive outlook despite the challenges it presents. Now we're going to hear from Liz as she explains when she first started to notice her symptoms and why she decided to seek medical attention. I had a very busy working life. I was in work where I was doing a lot of talking to different people and a lot of travel, including flights around Europe and, and so on. So it was a very gradual process. I began to realise that I couldn't quite manage to rush for a a train or cope with a conversation on the phone quite as well as I would expect to. But there was a specific time um, where I began to realise things were really not good. And it was actually on a flight and I found I couldn't breathe and felt very strange. Thought nothing of it because it got better again when I got off the plane. And the next time did it exactly the same. And I ended up having to ask for oxygen on the flight. At the same time, people were commenting on my cough. Every time I was talking on the phone, particularly, and then family began to say, look, mum, you can't keep coughing down people's ears like that. It's really not comfortable. Go and see the doctor. Um, But it's difficult at first because you simply keep adjusting your expectations and you think, oh, no, it's not that important. It's just a bit of a cough or, or whatever. Um, and then finally, you realise that actually it's impacting on other people. And that's when I began to think, no, I do need to do something about this. Liz now recounts the significant moment when her breathing was not normal. I was coming up a path from the beach in Devon. 
and realized I didn't, well, I actually thought I couldn't get there at all. I wasn't going to be able to make it. I was so breathless. And I said to myself, no, this isn't just being a bit unfit or a bit overweight or a bit anything. This is wrong. And that was the point that I decided that I had to go and see somebody. As we know, the journey to diagnosis can be hard. It's not always a straight line and in some cases can take months or, sadly, even years. This was the situation for Liz. People talk about the journey to diagnosis as though it's something quite exciting. Um, it's not. It's slow. It's frustrating. And it's sometimes very lonely. So for me, having the sort of two conditions in one, I'd always had pain in joints. Um, nothing had been diagnosed over the years. Different things had been suggested and tried, but with no particular success. Then the breathing problems, we started off with, well, maybe it's asthma. So try treating that, but that didn't work. Um, gastric pain. Well, you know, have some tests, did all of that. Um, took my gallbladder out, <laughs> didn't have any effect, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, cough, well, you know, yes, you, you had a chest x-ray, you're not, you don't have cancer. Um, so there's nothing really that we can do, you know, cough medicine, that sort of thing. And it's very frustrating because you still have no idea. You don't have the knowledge in your head that actually it could be something else because you don't know that something else exists. Um, so you get to a point where actually you feel as though you're making it up. Um, and that's, that's really hard, really difficult. And you're still trying to carry on with your life, but you're not actually doing it very well. Liz also goes on to explain how, at first, she was diagnosed with one condition and only much later received her full diagnosis. I was finally referred to a respiratory consultant, had a biopsy and was diagnosed with then non-specific interstitial pneumonitis, NSIP. Saw a tertiary centre hospital and on one of the first meetings there, I'd had a really difficult journey in by train into the hospital in London. And I was in a lot of pain from the arthritis, as well as being short of breath. And of course, breath and pain go together. If you start holding your breath, you, you get pain gets worse. And I actually just said to the very senior consultant that was sitting there kindly trying to sort my lungs out. I said, why do I have such pain in my elbows, my knees, my hips? And he said, oh, didn't realise you did. Right, okay, um, this is what we need to investigate. And then within a few months, I'd seen a rheumatologist and had been re-diagnosed with um, the rheumatoid arthritis stroke connective tissue um, ILD. So then it all began to fall into place. 
After months of tests, Liz encapsulates how it feels when you finally receive a correct diagnosis. When you're diagnosed, it's a strange mixture. You're relieved to have a diagnosis at long last, but you're also completely at a loss because you don't know what this condition is. Like many in a similar situation to Liz, once the initial shock of diagnosis wears off, you are suddenly met with an enormous amount of worry. When you suddenly realise that it's actually terminal, you're obviously very scared, you're sad, um, and you start worrying about everything. You worry about work, you worry about family, you worry about money, and somewhere in all of that you worry about yourself and, and your health and how you are. So it's, it's, it is very emotional. It's very difficult because you then have to try and describe to your family and your friends what it is. And you still don't really know what it is. Um, and you have absolutely no idea what impact it's going to have on you because we're all different. There isn't a, a quick and easy path or graph that they can give you and say, OK, year one, you're going to feel like this. Year two, this is going to happen. Year three, this might happen. It just doesn't work like that. Everyone is different. Everybody has different issues. But then you realise that there are some common issues and that you can get help. And that makes a huge difference. But when you have to start using mobility aids, for example, um, to be able to walk any distance, I, you know, it's, it's, it knocks your confidence. You don't feel you don't feel professional anymore. You don't feel as though you're competent and in charge of what you're doing, which is ridiculous, but it's it's an emotion that that comes up, I'm afraid. Um, and you that makes you feel more out of control when you're dealing with pain and everything else. It's important once you have been diagnosed that you make sure you are getting the support you need. This isn't always readily available, which is why it is important for Liz to point to the different people you can talk to about getting this initial support. I think there is a lot more that could be done to make the, the time after diagnosis easier to deal with. I think you really need to be told how you can get support. And that may not be very clear at the time at all, because you can get support. You can get it from um, from specialist nurses, you can get it from support groups, you can get it from the consultants. But actually putting it all together is, is quite hard as a patient sort of in the middle of it all. I think that would have been much more helpful if I'd known where to find some of these things. Like Liz, many people living with RAILD find themselves in the challenging position of trying to understand their condition while simultaneously grappling with the profound impact it will have on their lives. For many, this can be overwhelming. Your life changes. It does. Gradually, it may be, or it may be more quickly. Depends how, how your condition develops. But your daily life becomes much more complicated. I had to give up work. It was, a, it was a big, huge change for us. We ran our own business, the husband and I, and we realised that we couldn't carry on doing it um, because I needed more help. 
And so that's what we had to do, which was way worse for my husband than it was for me because I just had to try and deal with the illness, but he was dealing with the loss of um, his working life on top of everything else and becoming a carer. You're constantly planning. Everything becomes a risk assessment in your head because you do not want to get a chest infection or flu or COVID, obviously, during that period um, and still. And so you think, can I go to that event? Do I want to be in a in a cinema? No, I don't. So do I want to go to that family party? Yes, I definitely do. And yes, I might get a nasty cold from one of the grandchildren. But actually, I don't care because that's what I want to be doing. So you're constantly sort of balancing these things. Living with a condition like RAILD doesn't just impact the individual directly, it also has a significant effect on their loved ones. Liz candidly reveals how her diagnosis has reshaped her relationships. Any disease, I think, has an effect on your relationships with other people, the people around you especially. Um, I think it, it, this condition does have quite specific issues because you're dealing with pain and that's impossible for other people to see. So they don't know when you're having a really bad day, when you're in a flare and everything is hurting or whether you need to take more um, pain relief or whether you're just exhausted, you're just totally fatigued, which happens as well. Um, and then they do see the breathing problems. And if that gets worse when you're trying to do something, it's quite alarming if they don't understand. And of course, once you appear with oxygen, um, that's a big change. You can see people... Most people are very good about it, but you can see some people just, you know, not wanting to deal with that at all, not knowing what to say. And there isn't anything to say. I mean, it's just it's just the means that I use to keep doing the things I want to do. Um, so it, it, but it can become an issue. So you've got that that sort of strange conflict between an unseen and a seen condition that's hard for people to deal with. During challenging times, it's important that we have a good support system around us. Luckily for Liz, she has a brilliant family around her. I have fantastic family. I have an, an amazing husband. But he has had to give up a lot. Not just the work side of things, but also all our plans for our lovely retirement that we would have and our travels and all the exciting things that we might do. Um, unfortunately, because I, the last thing I can do is actually go on a plane. It's, it's, it's just not feasible for me now at all. It hasn't been for quite a long time. Um, so, and then if I tried to persuade him to go and do something himself and we organise something or we organise something nice with the family or something like that, and then I go down with a chest infection and end up back in hospital again, then all of that gets abandoned and thrown out the window again. 
So it is very difficult. My, I have a son and a daughter grown up with, with their own families and they are brilliant and amazing and protect me um, from infection. In addition to support from family and friends, it can be helpful to connect with people living with the same condition as you. I have met some absolutely amazing people who I would never have met if I didn't have this condition. Uh, I love the the support group that we have. There are people there that, you know, I've got very close to do lots of stuff with action for pulmonary fibrosis. Um, yeah, it, 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 you meet other people, you do other things. You, you just have to make adjustments. It's all about accepting it, I feel. I, I'm not one for fighting a condition. I know that makes a lot of sense to a lot of people and they work really well like that but for me I've, I find it's accepting it and then making the most of what you've got and the people you've got around you. For many living with rheumatoid arthritis little is known about the connection with ILD. Listen to Liz's advice below for anyone in this situation. I think most people who are diagnosed with this condition have had rheumatoid arthritis for a long time. That's the sort of normal way of coming through to this condition. Um, and therefore, they're used to dealing with their pain side of things and the, and the inflammatory side of things. But now they've got this double whammy of breathing problems. And I think um, they need to be particularly persistent in asking for advice about the lungs and the breathing problems because once you start having problems with breathing it can really affect your pain levels and so you need to learn you need to see a physiotherapist you need to see a pulmonary physiotherapist you need to do breathing exercises that will help everything and that i think is is my, would be my primary advice to anybody who's coming to the lung side of it later on. For Liz, it is also important to stay on top of research developments and discuss those with her healthcare team. I find it very interesting to know what research is going on. I know not everybody does and people aren't necessarily keen to, to know what's happening, but um, I, I think it gives me hope, not particularly for myself, but it gives me hope that other people in the future are not going to have this. And of course, there is familial pulmonary fibrosis, which is something that, you know, you worry about for your family. So you want to make sure what's, well, I find I, I like to know what's happening. You can find a lot of research papers online. Being newly diagnosed with RAILD can be an overwhelming experience which is why hearing from others who have gone through a similar journey is invaluable. Take a moment to listen to Liz's final piece of advice. If you are new to this journey, you may have had RA for a while, you may have had lung problems for a while, but now suddenly it's all come together and you've got this diagnosis. I think the most important thing to remember is to communicate, to talk to everybody that's involved, to the medical team, to the GP, to everybody, 
as well as your friends and as well as the support group and as well as everything. But tell your team when things are changing. If you have a chest infection, if you have pain flares, if you have a change in cough, don't just assume that that's part of the condition you have to put up with it. It may well be that it's a, something that can have can be dealt with or can be improved. If you're having a dark day when you're sad or frustrated or angry or just fed up with the whole world and this condition, that's the absolute time to reach out. Go and pick up the phone, go and write an email, go and do something, go and speak to somebody and tell them how you feel. Because it's very natural, it's very normal. We all go there, but you need some help to come out of it again and enjoy life. From everyone at Boeringer Ingelheim, we would like to say thank you for Liz for sharing her story and experience of living with RAILD with us. We hope that listening to her experience either offers you comfort in knowing that you are not alone or educates you about the connection between rheumatoid arthritis and interstitial lung disease, RA and ILD. If you or a loved one is worried or would like to find out more information about RA ILD, please visit patient.boeringer-ingelheim.com LWPF or please reach out at hello at boeringer-ingelheim.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for free wherever you get your podcast. There, you will also find previous episodes you might have missed.